Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. There is an inseparable connection between actions and consequences. And now Minneapolis stands over the past week or so as a case study for all the world to see of justice, that what you do matters for what becomes of you. And it is the great lie of our time for all peoples and the great discouragement of people of color in this country that actions appear severed from consequences. This is the deception of our age. Justice has not come and many fear that it will not come. I cannot think of a season in recent history with more opportunity to embrace this truth that that what you do matters for what becomes of you. How you have responded in the pandemic, how you have responded to the injustices of police brutality says something about you. And while our country is wailing in protests, crying justice for George, we could easily translate that as actions have consequences. And we must remember that they do for us too. Hear me. How you live reveals who you are. Our neighborhood watch on our street, which is just three blocks from where George Floyd was murdered, has mobilized, of course, in the last week. And in our chat together, there's constant surveillance and people talking about what's going on. And of course, we've been urged to clear our yards of any kind of debris that could be um, flammable and also to keep our lights on at night. I've been keeping my lights on all the time. I I guess it's just easy to not forget. And uh, what, what you notice is that during the day, our front light is pretty much not visible, imperceptible. But at night, it shines brightly. And this is often the case that in the darkest moments, light can shine the most brilliant. So whether visible or not, our switch has been on. And this moment now is an opportunity for us to see where is the switch in your life? Because in these darker moments, it makes clear where the dimmer is or perhaps whether your switch is on or off. It is not merely consequences that matter here, but identity and character at stake. How you live reveals who you are. Who's the church? The church is a community that's learning Jesus, that is believing him to be king above all, belonging to him inseparably by faith and and learning to obey him in all areas of life. It is to be made new. Yes, who the church is, is a complete new creation made by God, all by grace, but also the church is being renewed. Meaning how we are to live is to be continually changed and renewed. Who we are is to shape how we live. And so learning, to, learning Jesus, which is the church's charge, involves several things. It surely involves adopting things like gentleness and peace and patience, kindness and forbearance and forgiveness, which we've spoken of in recent weeks. But it also includes avoiding certain things like darkness and immorality and injustice. 
God's plan for your life is not just to put on certain things, but to put off others, to avoid the things that are at dissonance with your new identity, things like the works of darkness, injustice, and immorality. Listen, don't take my word for it. Let's, let's read the Bible together. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you see the connection? Who are we? Beloved children. What are we to do? How are we to live? We're to imitate God. Who are we? Those loved by God. And what are we to do then? We are to walk in love, even sacrificial love, in the way that Jesus has loved us. Christians are called to respond to the issues of darkness and greed and immorality and corruption with light. This is a gospel issue for us to reframe how we live after the pattern of God in the gospel. Christians are called to something great, something far beyond us. And so listen, if you're tuning in this morning and you're not a Christian, let me just extend to you a welcome in saying that your critique against the church and how it has acted in our country is incredibly justified. But please don't let the, the defects of the church blind you from the beauty of God's design. Lean in, please. And if you're a Christian, whether culturally so and sort of say that you belong to a domination or would identify as a Christian, or whether you really feel like you've been called by God and made new, here's what you need to know. If you are to live from who you are and have that shape how you live, you need to see sin for what it truly is. You need to separate from darkness and you need to begin to shine as light. First, you need to see sin for what it truly is. This is verse 3 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and impure or covetous, or covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You need to see sin for what it truly is, idolatry. Living on your own terms, doing your own thing, rejecting any sort of revelation or information from God is a form of worship. Sin is worship of something or someone other than God. It is the exalting of the created over the creator. This is exactly what we see in the practices that Paul is highlighting here in Ephesians 5. Sexuality is one of the ways in which People created in God's image live out of sync and out of line with God's design. The Greek word here for sexual immorality is porneia, a far-encompassing term that, of course, gets at the incredible violation of trust for a moment of pleasure. 
It is the disregard of God's design, which is incredibly beautiful. One of the most amazing threads woven throughout the scriptures is sexuality. And and it is the disregard for God's design such that marriage would be the safe covenantal place where sexuality is expressed. It is the pushing for no limits and for gratification of all desires. The next word, impurity, of course, is often linked to sexuality, but at its core it means corruption. It's the kind of moral corruption that the prophet Isaiah said is calling good evil and evil good. It is in some ways as if you were to take a piece of fruit, like actually we did recently at my house, and bite into it only to see that underneath the surface of the skin is a massive bruise, probably from some type of worm or even mold at the core. And what that's supposed to do is cause you to spit out the fruit. But in our greed and desire, we begin to keep eating things which are corrupt. Covetousness, of course, fuels that. It is that lust, that insatiable desire, that endless greed for more. Sin is idolatry. It's worship of something else. But it's also uncontrollable. Read on with me. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, listen, I don't want to diminish what's practically being said here about speech, but what I think is being hinted at is not only your body, but your mouth are connected to what's going on in your heart, such that if there is greed, if there is corrupt desire, if there is sin within you, it will get expressed sooner or later in what you say and in what your body does. Sin is not something you can manage. It is uncontrollable and tends to prop up everywhere that you look. It is in many ways like a pandemic that we cannot restrain. It is in many ways like like a a creeping Charlie weaving a web underneath the surface, popping out in, in all of the grass in your yard. Paul's point here is not that these things are not proper as in like snooty, but his point is that they're not fitting. It's as if he's saying, remember the moment when you've gone to the store and looked at something on the rack and said, I love that shirt or that pair of pants, only to discover that it just doesn't come, it's not available in your size. Now, what you could do, of course, is sort of try and squeeze into something or put on something far too large and always be adjusting and moving it. In that way, Paul is saying, for the Christian, these things don't fit. And your choice to buy or even to wear clothing like that is functioning out of greed, a desire far different than gratitude. You need to see sin as uncontrollable and you need to see sin as deception. This is what Paul says. He says, let no one deceive you. For make sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance with the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
no, notice the emphasis in, in these verses is not on those who have sinned in a particular manner sexually or do struggle in certain ways, but it is for those who persist in that way. Because persisting in that way is to identify with those things. It is to not be characterized by an identity in the kingdom of God, but a participation in the kingdom of darkness. You need to see sin for what it truly is, which is deception. It is the lie that actions do not have consequences. Sin is what motivates protesting. Sin is the reason that our city is weeping. Sin is what is being cried in behind that chant of justice for George. Sin is what says justice won't come, so do whatever you please. But the scriptures show that God is the author of justice. And even though that sin whispers to black and to brown, to white, to blue, that consequences won't come for actions. God is a God of justice. God, show, God shows himself to be in the scriptures, the author of justice. He shows himself to be the one who will hold the world accountable. God will hold the acts of racism and oppression accountable. God will hold accountable violence and deception. God will hold accountable the orchestrators of past, present, and future darkness within our nation's story. What in your life do you not see as sin because actions don't have consequences? Where are you ignoring what may come because of what you do? Or perhaps, how have you leveraged your actions to elevate you above others? Of course, that is the heart behind racism itself. God's blueprint for the church is for us to see sin as it truly is, this unloving and uncontrollable and ultimately worship of something other than the living God, than the Father of all light and goodness and truth. Who are we? We're beloved children of the Father. Who are we? We're those loved by Jesus and called to walk in love. And walking in love involves, of course, seeing sin for what it is, but also involves separating from darkness. You need to separate from darkness if who you are as a Christian is to shape how you live. <clears throat> Let's read on. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. That phrase, take no part, and then do not be partners with them. Echo the language of chapter 3, which talks about how Jews and Gentiles alike have become partners. They've become sharers in the same gospel, in the same promises, in the same future. Their faith has brought them together toward a mutual future that is theirs in Christ. Who they are is to shape how they live. Paul says the church is a group of saints, those who are set apart, those who are distinct, those are, who are holy, those who have an inheritance elsewhere in the kingdom of God and of Christ, no less. So they are, because of who they are, separate 
meaning distinct. They are separate, meaning disconnected. They are separate, meaning they don't share in the ways of others. Look at how masterfully Paul weaves in both negative commands and motivation and positive commands and motivation. Look at in verse 7. He says, do not become partners or sharers with them. Why? Well, for the church, they were one time darkness, but now they're a light in the Lord. So because their identity has shifted, because they are now light and not darkness, they cannot be partners, sharers in darkness. That's the negative. Here's the positive. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Why? Well, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And if for some reason those seem too spiritual or too cerebral for you, let me translate them to their secondary meanings. This is, you could easily translate as light has the fruit of generosity. Light has the fruit of justice. Light has the fruit of faithfulness. You see, the practices of sin and the patterns of darkness in the form of greed and injustice and deception are just not fruitful. They appear lush, but in the end are but barren branches. They don't help, they harm. They don't provide, they poison. And they appear to be good to eat, but in the end are corrupt. Barren branches, which Jesus says are only fit for the campfire. Dr. John M. Perkins, the civil rights leader and father of the Christian community development movement over the past several decades, has fought for justice for a long time. He's educated many, he's empowered leaders, he's equipped organizations to start and to serve our city, organizations that had been serving long before George Floyd's death and will stay serving long after the memorial services are done. Years ago, he wrote an autobiography entitled, Let Justice Roll Down. It's the plea, the prayer of his own life. Let justice roll down. Listen to what he says about change. True Christian change works more like an old oak tree in the spring. When the new life inside pushes off the old dead leaves that still hang on. Whoa, that's good. May you not so tape affix leaves onto a tree. May our city not tie leaves onto a tree, meaning may we not resurface or re-image, may we not react in a way that says change has happened, but may we be about the slow, the insistent progress of life coming up from within that pushes off that which is dead but still hanging on. What a metaphor for racism in our city, in our country. That which is dead but still hanging on. What a metaphor for the sin still entangled to your soul. That which is dead but still hanging on. New life must flood from within your trunk and push off those leaves. God's blueprint for the church is to separate from darkness. Darkness hides, darkness covers, darkness fakes, deceives. 
Who are we? We're partners with one another in Christ. We are partners with the saints. Who are we? We are the new family of Jesus called to share together in a new way, meaning we need to separate from old ways. But not only do we separate from darkness, we are as light in the Lord to shine, exposing darkness, falsehood, and injustice for what it is. You need to shine. In order for you to live out of who you are, you need to shine light, exposing that which is not good and just and true. Here we are towards the end of the passage. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The key word in these verses is expose, elenho. It is present, it is active, and it is plural meaning the church together is to actively expose darkness as it shines light into the corners and the streets and the places where darkness lingers. This word, elenho, is to instruct, it is to expose, it is to put to test, it is to refute. This is the word that's used in John chapter 3 when he says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works would be exposed. And in Revelation chapter 3, those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Reprove is that word. And then in Hebrews 12, my son, do not, Regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary of his reproof. For the Lord, what? Reproves those whom he loves. The movement here is from that which is invisible, hidden in the dark, towards that which is visible and exposed in the light. So you, yourself as an individual, has Christ shined on you. In a spiritual sense, has the light of Christ shined upon you, right? Are are you spiritually dead or alive? If you're dead, that means you've never been exposed by the light of Christ. You've never been reproved or refuted or corrected by the light of Christ and responded. You lay dead still. Or perhaps are you asleep spiritually? Meaning, does your relationship very seldom have shining light from God into the parts of your soul that are still dark and entangled with sin? How often does God shine into your life, reproving you, helping you grow like his own child up towards maturity? Are you dead? Are you asleep individually? Some of you, it's it's as if the, the aperture, which is new term for me now that I'm filming myself preaching sermons. It is, the, it is the, the amount of light that the camera can take in. So for some of you, the aperture is so 
high and the lens is so closed that no light comes into your life because of your own self-reliance. Would this moment, would all that's going on in a pandemic, would all that's going on in these protests cause you to open up the lens of your soul and let light shine in such that you might be made new, come to life, or at least wake up? But let's not think individually about this alone, family. That would not be enough. What about others? Do you shine? Think about this in a lens of mission. Do you shine? Perhaps if there's deadness in you, you've never called someone else to believe. You've said, hey, would you put your faith in Jesus? You've never dialogued with others who disagree with you and who have a different take on our world and on the story of reality. You've never confronted someone saying, hey, what you're doing is really sinful. And in the end, it's just going to deceive others and destroy you. You've never done that work with others, meaning you're dead to the mission of God to shine light into the world. But perhaps you're asleep. Perhaps you're asleep and seldom do you have meaningful conversations, honest conversations with others about how generosity is the way of God rather than greed, about how justice is the way of Jesus, not the injustices we see in our culture. Perhaps you are frequently or occasionally walking in such a way that shines light for others to see. As I said, the past few nights in our neighborhood, um, we have left the lights on. And um, we have an outdoor light, but we don't have a light in our porch. And one of the things that was encouraged was to leave some in, inside lights on. And so what I did is got an extension cord and wired it up and then set the lamp on top of the kids' play kitchen in the porch um, so that there was light to shine all over our front porch and enough actually to illuminate our front yard. You see, light often makes things visible in the house, but often beyond the house as well. And so Jesus, of course, is the, where, is the place where Paul is getting all of these metaphors. He's the one from whom Paul has learned all of this truth. And Jesus, in his own words, says, You, church, you, new humanity, that have been called separate by God, are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. Nor do people set a lamp and put it under a basket. They don't hide it, but they put it on a stand, on a play kitchen in the porch. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are you lit? Are you actively doing work? that is good, that is just, that is true? Are you shining light to others? Are you taking in the light of Christ into your own soul and light, life? If not, church, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. God's blueprint for the church is for us to shine light into the world because who we are is the light of Christ. Who we are is those made alive in Jesus, now radiating with his goodness and truth. There is an inseparable connection between actions and consequences. 
one that reveals not just what could happen to us, but who we are, our identity and our character. How you live reveals who you are. And for this moment, church, what has the pandemic, what have all these protests, what has the injustice in our city revealed about who you are? How are you responding to this? If you find yourself overwhelmed, please hear me. Would you feel the freedom to feel? Would you hear the invitation of the Lord Jesus into his presence where feelings are allowed? Right? Jesus, would you learn from Jesus now? Learn of his emotional life because he is the one who is able to sympathize with you, meaning he's able to feel with you to be with you, and yet retains the kind of strength necessary to still lead you forward. Would you learn Jesus in his emotional life? If you find yourself dismissive, please do not continue in apathy. Would you learn Jesus instead? He is the one who is the model of all maturity, the one who did not dismiss the pain of others but entered into it, who sought to understand it. Would you learn from him a humility such that you might not dismiss problems? Do not disregard these horrific symptoms and in so doing, blind yourself from the problem at its core. If you find yourself impatient, quick to move on. Please stay. Don't run. Explore these topics and these emotions that make you uncomfortable and want to leave. Don't avoid sadness and anger and grief and pain. And please don't offer quick solutions to complex problems. Do not fall into the two-hour hallmark way of life that has a resolution to every story. That's not real life and those are not real people. But there is hope. There is hope. Just for the time being, please don't flatten the story because your heart cannot yet hold the complexity. Instead, learn Jesus. Learn his heart. Ask him to enlarge yours. If you find yourself confused, please hear me that to not know is okay but to stay in indifference or passivity is not okay. To be a follower of Jesus means to be a learner, which means that over the course of life, there are going to be plenty of things that you don't know and need to learn in situations where you are confused and aren't quite sure what to do. Let the light of Christ shine. Let him show you a way forward. Lean in, ask questions, learn, receive, do research. There's opportunity here for you who are confused. But whatever your response is, please don't do it alone. Please don't settle into self-reliance. Please, Christians are made new by grace. 
meaning that if you're not a Christian, you can be made new right now by grace if you put your faith in him. And meaning if you are a Christian, you were made a new creation, not by what you do, but by depending on what Jesus has done. You've been made new by grace. But not only are you made new, who you are as a new creation, but how you live is by grace. Christians are to be continually renewed by grace. So if you're not lit right now, Jesus stands ready with energy and resources to set you ablaze so that you might shine light, goodness, and truth to the world around you. By grace, you must continue to live out of who you are. This is the hope of the gospel, that we've been loved immeasurably by God, that he has by grace called us his children, and he will by grace change us more into his likeness. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. You need to imitate. You need to imitate in order to integrate. You need to imitate in order to integrate because sin has pulled apart and fragmented all of the various parts of your being and Jesus the Lord is going to unite and to bring together your heart, soul, mind, and strength in union with him and in his purposes for the good of our world. He will reform you after his own likeness, after the blueprint. The Father who loves you has promised to shape you as his child. And by grace, you need a model to mature, and you've been given one. So family, in these difficult times, learn Jesus. He is your role model in all of the ways of justice and truth and righteousness and sacrifice and love. Let's be a church that follows him. Let's be a church that invites others to follow us as we follow him. It is time to shine, exposing darkness and letting light reign. Jesus as I sit here even hearing sounds of protest and preachers on the corner and ralliers on the, the block, two, two blocks from my house, I realize that this message is for a specific people. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would continue to learn from you, Jesus, such that we might shine with your light in our city, which so needs it. In your great name we pray, amen.